tell you. You work all weekend on a message. You look out the window at the sunny day, knowing you're coming here to put people to sleep. Oh, man. You're probably all going to fall asleep on me. And I'm not up there on the screen. Everything's going wrong. Come on, guys. What's wrong? <sighs> boy, oh boy. Got a cold. Water's like half empty. Try mirroring again. No, I'm not on. I'll try to. Yeah, here you can do it. I'll pray. Okay, good. Okay, in my misery. <laughs> Father, thank you for bringing us together today. We pray, Lord, as we look into your word, that we will be thankful and that you will speak to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would help uh, with saying what you want said to our hearts. And thank you, most of all, as has our brother has already reminded us, that we have so much to be thankful for. Of all people, those who are believers have so much to thank you for. pray that we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Okay, all that grumbling was to let you know I'm going to talk about complaining. <laughs> all right. This morning I want to talk about choosing Thanksgiving. We can choose Thanksgiving in our lives. Today is the day that, and tomorrow, that many of us celebrate Thanksgiving. And unfortunately for many, it's the only time that they will reflect and perhaps give thanks for what they have. Uh, but I want to talk to you about something that we do, first of all, something we do, many of us, and not all of us, I have to say, many of us do almost every day. And it has a negative impact on our lives. And I want to read a story, an account from the Bible, that one of the most drastic incidents that happened in all of the Old Testament happened in this, in this account. Open your Bibles, please, if you would, to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Now this event is so impactful in the scriptures that it's mentioned not only in Numbers chapters 11 to 14, it's mentioned in the Psalms, in Psalm 95, 11, or 8 to uh, 11. It's mentioned in the Gospels, it's mentioned in the Epistles, it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17, and three separate incidents in the book of Hebrews is this event mentioned. In chapter 15 to 8, or chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, in chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. So this is something that everybody's talking about, and what is it? What happened? Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, admit, confess. I read this book once, then I read it again. And it has preached to me. It's called Lord Change My Attitude Before It's Too Late. And one of the things that I'm going to touch on this morning is one of the attitudes that this talks about. Actually, two of the attitudes. I'm going to talk about two of them today. And some people love James McDonald. Some people can't stand James McDonald. I like him. Uh, so, but it's just he writes like he preaches, and he preaches like he writes. So. Um, 
But this was straightforward, and when I read this, it hit me right where it hurt, right in my heart. So here's the, here's the background to what's happened here. We remember the children of Israel. They went down, Joseph was in, in uh, Egypt, and, and there was a famine came in the land, and, and the children of Israel went down to Egypt, and Pharaoh fed them for a while, and then he said, hey, you know what, this is a good thing here. I'll use these guys as slaves. I'll put them to work. And if you remember in the whole book of Exodus, you've got the children of Israel and they're working as slaves, they're making bricks, and then they're making bricks without straw, they're being oppressed, they're being given all this hardship. And then God uses Moses to deliver the people from slavery and the oppression of Pharaoh. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. And he promised them that I'm gonna take you to a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he delivered them, he brought them through the Red Sea. So they traveled, more than two million of them, and he delivered them in so many ways through all of this. He parted the Red Sea, for example. Uh, he, he, he led them, he actually went with them in his presence as a pillar of uh, cloud and, and, a, and a, a pillar of uh, fire at night. The journey took 18 months, it covered 300 miles. 12 of the 18 months they spent at the base of Mount Sinai while the Ten Commandments and other laws were given. And now we come to this point where they are just about to enter the Promised Land 12 spies go into the, into the land to spy it out to see how it is. They come back with these clusters of grapes. They come back with all of this great stuff. And 10 of them say, you know, we're like grasshoppers up against those guys. They're big, giant guys. We're just little puny fellas. Uh, we're going to die. This isn't going to be good for us. And except for two of them. Joshua and Caleb said... Oh, no, 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 this is a good land. And God said he's going to give it to us, so let's go in. So they're right at the edge. In Numbers chapter 11, they're right at the edge of the promised land. They're ready to go in and enjoy the bounty. And then God says, you're not going in. No, 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 no. I'm going to turn you guys all back until everybody over the age of 20 dies in the wilderness. So for 40 years, you're going to wander around and die. And then your children can go in. Oh, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, they can go in. Why? What made God do that? Isn't that kind of drastic? You rescue 2 million people, you take them from slavery, you take them from all that hardship, you march them through the desert, you take them through the wilderness, you deliver them through the Red Sea, you provide for them with manna. You provide for them with water. You do all of these things. Their clothes don't wear out. All of this stuff. And you take them to the edge. They can see the promised land. And then God says, you know what? You're not going in. Doesn't that seem drastic? What's even more drastic, he says, I'm going to kill every single one of you. I'm going to let you just die. And your corpse is rot in the wilderness. And maybe your children can go in. What? ever push God to the point of doing that? I mean, surely it must have been like something bizarre that they did. Well, let's read it. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and people wept at night. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? 
Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, sorry, I'll put that up for you. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give us uh, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So you think the people would say, you know what, these guys, yeah, you're right. You're right, sorry, we were thinking the wrong thing. But what does, what does it say in verse 10? And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the meeting before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me and how long will they not believe me with all the signs that I have performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a greater, or a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For your might, uh, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, and they will, that they have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, and that you, Lord, have seen, uh, you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go uh, before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations will, uh, which have heard of you and your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great just as you uh, have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy and forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, an iniquity, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Now, isn't that a great great passage, if I just stop there for a second, to tell you that prayer works. These guys were done. God was going to kill every one of them. And Moses went to the Lord and he prayed for these people. And the Lord said, all right, I will pardon this sin. I will pardon their iniquity. Prayer works. If you ever think it doesn't, read this passage and look at what Moses did here and look at what the Lord did. Now, I'm going to stop the reading right there. Uh, although, down it says uh, in verse, let's go to 20, verse 28. It says, Say to them, as I uh, live, so, uh, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, uh, so I will do to you. Uh, this is where it says, I have heard the complaints with the children of Israel made against me, in verse 27. Um, as the carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness, all of you, who were numbered according to the entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would uh, make you to dwell in. 
But your little ones, um, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. You know, when you look at it, you think, surely they have done something, something awful in the sight of God to deserve this. I mean, they must have... They must have done some gross sexual sin or idolatry or drunkenness or somebody rose up and blasphemed. It had to be that. No. They complained. Their complaint, in in King James it says murmuring, which is kind of like one of those words that, I don't know what the English term or the grammar term is for a word that sounds like it actually is. What is that, Clyde, you're a teacher? Onomatopoeia. That it? Yeah, it is. All right. Chelsea, you're wrong. Go back to math. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So murmuring. Murmur, 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 rasp and frass and murmur, murmur, murmur. Okay, this is what they were doing. They were all grumbling and murmuring and whining and complaining. And God got so irritated by this. It tells you that complaining is an attitude that God absolutely hates. God hates it when we complain. He can't stand it. You know, as I said in the beginning, many of us are guilty of complaining. Not all of us. I'm thankful. My, my wife is not a complainer. I am a complainer. I'm a complainer and I'm an extrovert, so it's even worse. I complain and I say it. I know people who are complainers and they have duct tape over their mouth and they don't say it, but they, it shows up in other ways. But I'm a complainer and I say it and I grumble and I whine and I complain all the time. I know I do. My wife doesn't do that. I'm thankful because... Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Uh, He just wrecked my day. It's just getting worse. (laughs) Maybe I'm turned off here or something, you know? Maybe I should just go home. He may set it all anyway. Yeah. Oh, I know why I'm on airdrop to contacts airplay. Yeah, let's go to airplay. Auditorium. Somehow it's switched off here. Mirroring. Mirroring. Because this is a great slide. This is such a great slide for it to not work. Oh, that thing's turned off. Okay. Uh, Now it's on. All right, we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll come back and you'll get to see this great slide. See? Great slide. That is a good slide. Yeah. It's incredible. I've already switched her over there, auditorium, mirroring. We're good. Okay, turkeys are going to be burned. People are not going to be given thanks for this. <laughs> You're not making me feel any better. I know. Okay. That thing, the lights just came back on, so it's kind of flashing, so I have a feeling. Okay, let's just carry on without the slides. Right. And if you can get it up, if you can get it up working down there, you've got the whole thing on the, on the stick. Why does it always happen to me? All right. My whole point on this is, uh, and somebody let me know when it shows up on the wall again, because then I'll just advance to where I am. The whole thing I want to say is complaining is a sin. We might not think of it as that. We might not think that when we start complaining and whining, 
It's just harmless. It's just hurting me. It's just nothing, okay? It's just what we do. We're Canadians. We're, we're, we're in election time. But complaining is a sin. God hates it. And you're saying to me, okay, well, this is 3,300 years ago. I mean, surely God is different now. God's a God of love and grace and kindness. And, and he would never, ever be the same as he was back in the 3,300 years ago with the children of Israel. I mean, this is, this is like desert stuff. This is Moses stuff. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to and keep your finger back in, in Numbers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, so he's speaking to Jewish people, who are now believers, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, uh, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. Uh, and in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Now look at verse 10. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happen to them as examples and are written for who? Our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, complaining in this verse, in this section, is placed right up there with sexual immorality, right up there with idolatry, right up there with all of these things. God does not see complaining Fast forward thousands of years and God still sees complaining as an offense. Complaining is a sin. This is a real sin because this is a great slide. Okay. So if you want to live with a, a complaining and ungrateful attitude today, you're going to be living just like those who wandered in the wilderness. A dry, barren, empty wilderness where there's no life. Now this quote, as you can see, behind me, says, those who complain as their lifestyle will spend their lifetimes in the wilderness. If we have a lifestyle of complaining, if we have a lifestyle of whining, we will be living the same as those who spent their lifetime in the wilderness, and we will die there. I'm talking a spiritual wilderness. I want you to go with me now back to Numbers, just back. To numbers again. I want you to turn to chapter 11 this time. And we might think that the children of Israel, they were wandering along and they traveled and traveled and traveled. You might think that they wandered and wandered and wandered. And then they got to this day and thought, oh, this is a bad day, I'm going to complain. 
Numbers chapter 11 is when they they were heading out on the last part of the journey. They're they're just they're heading out now on the last part of their journey. And look at what it says in Numbers chapter 11 verse 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord and when the Lord heard us his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them on the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died out. And so the name of the place is called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Again, another great place to look and say, does prayer work? Yes, it does. Moses went before them and prayed. Oh, look at that. I'm thankful for God's creation. <laughs> Rivers and hurricanes and clouds. Atmosphere. I'm on slide number nine, if you ever get up there. Just about to go to 10. Okay, complaining is a sin. See, that was the great slide that I was hoping you would see. Uh, keep going. All right, okay. So here are the people, they're starting the last leg of their journey and they are whining and complaining before they even start. You see, this tells me a lot, these verses. The whole thing is attitude. It's attitude. Complaining is an attitude. Complaining is not an infection. Complaining is not a disease. Complaining is not something your mother made for you. Complaining is your attitude. It's yours. It belongs to you. It's our choice. And our attitude is always our choice. Ah, excellent. Thank you. You see, the verse says, they became like those who complain. It didn't say that because it was in their DNA, they complained. It says they became like those who complain. They chose to complain. They chose to whine. It's not that they were brought up that way. Maybe they were. Maybe their mother or father was a complainer. I don't know. My kids have no hope with me in the house. But my wife is there to balance that out. But they chose to complain. They had a million reasons not to complain, but they decided to focus on one thing and complain about it. Complaining is a sin. That's the basic truth here. Complaining is a sin. Now, we also see here that complaining, you might think, okay, when I complain, I'm only going to hurt myself. Well, yes, you do. Complaining leads to anger. Complaining leads to bitterness. Complaining leads to depression. It leads to all kinds of things in your life that are bad. But more than that, we read here, it says, those who complain in the hearing of the Lord. God is directly affected when we complain. God is affected by our complaint. Why is it an offense to him? I'll tell you why. Because it calls into question his ability to do things in your life. It calls into question his sovereignty of the whole universe. It calls into question whether he's really God. Oh, man, if only God could do this for me. Well, you know what? God can do anything. John Wells talked about what God can do a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. God can do anything he wants. And if we complain and whine, we're calling into question as his creator or creation rather, we're calling into question the whole ability of God to do anything. You're saying, God, you blew it. You had a chance to meet my expectations, but now you disappointed me. How offensive is that to God? How offensive? The second thing is, next slide, there we go. God hears our complaining. 
Your complaining doesn't only hurt you, it hurts God. Think about this. God hears every word of the complaint of the children of Israel. He heard every single word. He was there with them. It says, as we read, that he was in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The visible presence of God. Can you imagine if we were sitting here and swirling in that corner is the visible presence of God? That would kind of change our conversations a little bit, wouldn't it? And so here are the children of Israel. The presence of God is right there. They could see it every day. They could see it every night. It was always with them. Yet, in front of that, they chose to complain. What did they complain about? They complained about Moses and Aaron's leadership in 14 verse 2. They complained about the wilderness in 14 verse 12. They complained in 15 24 about the lack of water to drink. In 16, they complained about the lack of meat. In 17, they complained about the thirst again. They complained about the manna that God gave them, free food every day. They complained about all this stuff right in front of them. And it was an offense to his ears. Now, I've got to move on. There is a complaining that's the worst kind of complaining. There we are. You know, this is the last point on complaining that I want to make. First of all, God hears it all. He knows it all. He knows when we complain about the weather, the government, the taxes, the church, the election, the degeneration of our society, our health, our health care, our age, our spouse, our friends, our children, our job, and whatever else we want to put on that list that we complain about. That's just my list right there, okay? That's just the stuff I complain about in the course of a day. Uh, well, we did complain, Ralph and I, about the uh, hype about the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. So you can put that on there too, sports, my team losing. So, but God hears it all. It says right here, they did it in front of his ears. But there is one particular kind of complaining that is really, really offensive to God, that really sets him off, that he doesn't like to hear. Now, I know this is going to make God sound like he's a really rotten guy. This is going to sound like God is really just judgment, judgment, judgment. Don't complain in front of me or I'll pound you. No, that's not the way God is. You see, they focused on this one thing rather than focus on all the great things that God gave them. If you go back to the Garden of Eden and you look where God sent them into this beautiful garden and said, I'll tell you what, you can have anything you want in here. You can eat whatever you want. You can have whatever tree you want, just one. Just please stay away from the one. What's the abundance? God's goodness. The prohibition is just for one tree. So God is put, bringing them through all of this stuff, and the worst kind of complaining, the kind of complaining that God hates is, it's right in the verse, those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. They complain about adversity. You see, God sends adversity into our lives to discipline us. We talked about this at the, uh, at the study on the Gospel of John the other night quite a bit. You have a measure of it, I have a measure of it. You deal with something, I deal with something. But it's just the right amount that God has put into your life to bring about his eternal purposes. He has given you just the right amount of adversity, not more than you can bear, not more than you can get out from under, not more than you can stand, and not less, just the right amount. He knows perfectly well. And when we complain about that, Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says this in the uh, next slide, please. He says in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses five to six, and you, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Jesus himself said to his disciples, he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For, who, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself loses his soul or is destroyed and lost? You see, God is a loving father. God is a gracious father. I am an imperfect father, but you see, there are things that my children did and could do that would really, really irritate me more than anything else. Talking back to mom. Disrespecting their mother. Like that, that, that was like one of the off-scale things in, at home. You sash your mom, you're in trouble. This is the way it is with God. You, you complain about your adversity. You complain about these things in your life that are there to make you better. It's an offense to God. There will be adversity in following Jesus Christ. He may remind us, we have so much to be thankful for. He said that. Of all people, believers, we have so much to be thankful for. But there will be hardship. There will be difficulty. He promises it. But he asks us, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. You can't take up a cross and say, this is pleasant. No. But he doesn't want to hear you saying, hey, this cross is so heavy. It's got splinters in it. And how come his cross is smaller than mine? That's not what God wants to hear. He wants you to carry your cross. He wants you to bear what he's given you to bear. Why? Because it is part of his loving, molding, and shaping of the way you are and the way he wants you to be. All right, enough about that. So what can I do? Is there a solution? Well, first of all, I need to think about changing my attitude because we said it's attitude and attitude's a choice. Excellent. Boy, these guys are on top of it, I'll tell you. I'm so thankful for these <laughs> fellows in the sound booth. Man, they know what they're doing. <clears throat> first thing, ask yourself a question. Am I a complainer? Maybe you're not. And again, everything I've said up to now, if you're not a complainer, ignore. Just don't do it, okay? Just don't develop that part of your life. But if you are a complainer, and I am a complainer, and I know I'm a complainer, I listen to myself, not enough, but I listen to the people at work. In fact, while I was preparing this, and I was thinking about all this stuff in the past week, I kind of listened to conversations around, the work, around work in the lunchroom and in offices and so on, and I thought, Oh my goodness, these are the most unthankful people on the face of the earth. And then I realized, oh, I just was part of that conversation too. So you know, no better. But it becomes a habit, and it will send you into the wilderness and sap the joy out of your life. It will. It will wreck your life. Am I a complainer? Ask God to open your eyes in areas of your life you see you're complaining about. Pray and ask God, Lord, am I a complainer? And he will show you. The second thing is, Am I reaping the consequences of complaining in my relationship with God? Does God seem so far and distant away from me right now? And perhaps that's a consequence if you've complained and grumbled about every single thing in your life. That's the habit of your life. And you've complained so much that God seems like he's so far away. God knows your every thought and deed. Now here's the way to get back. Am I willing to repent? Am I willing to have a change of attitude? If I'm a complainer, if I'm a grumbler, 
Am I willing to turn from that and ask God to change my mind and my attitude? Now, here's the solution. First of all, realize, and I think I've made the point enough, complaining is dangerous. Look what happened to the children of Israel from complaining. They suffered under the hand of God. Secondly, remember that God knows what he's doing. Remember this. You know, there's a, another Old Testament character, and we don't have a whole lot of time to go into it, so I won't. But Joseph. Joseph, I mean, he, he like, leaves me in his dust. You look at Joseph. He was thrown into a pit by his brothers. He was sold by them into slavery. He was unjustly accused of fooling around with, with the governor's wife. He was thrown into prison. He was forgotten by a friend that he had helped and it was going to get him out of prison. All of these things happen. And what does he say? Three times God, he says to his brothers when they come starving before him, God sent me here. God sent me here. God sent me here. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He looked at it with the right perspective. He looked at it and said, God knows what he's doing here. This wasn't easy. It was not easy to sit in a prison for all those years. But Joseph took the mindset, God knows what he's doing. And you do not read anywhere, anywhere in the book of Genesis of Joseph complaining, ever. Now the third thing is, put away past complaints that may have become bitterness. The longer you hold on to a complaint, the longer you gripe about something, it'll become a grudge. And a grudge is a real problem. If you hold on to a complaint, it's going to just get a root of bitterness in your life. And it will make you bitter towards everything. Get rid of it. Fourth thing, and this is what I want to conclude on in about 20 minutes, is give thanks in all things. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And I'm not just talking some power of positive thinking garbage stuff. I'm talking about giving thanks to God as the sovereign of the universe who is at work in my life and in all circumstances. So what we want to do is replace an attitude of complaining with an attitude of thanksgiving. If you want to go to the next slide. Thanks guys for keeping up with me. <laughs> there we go. Thankfulness is an attitude that perfectly displaces my sinful tendency to complain and thereby release joy and blessing into my life. If I'm a thankful person, I will remove the complaining in my life. If I learn to give thanks, I will learn not to complain. I want to read a, 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 an account from the Gospel of Luke. Next slide. It's about the Lord Jesus. It says, then as he entered uh, Luke chapter 17 and verse 12, it says, as he entered a, a certain village, there he met 10 men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleaned or cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God. And he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet and giving him thanks. Uh, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, we're not ten cleansed, but where are the other nine? Uh, we're not any of them. Uh, we're not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. I want you to notice the first thing that Jesus points out here. He points out those who were ungrateful. 90% were ungrateful. 
90%. 10 guys, 90%, didn't even bother to come back and just say, hey, thank you. You know, they had a disease that made them look hideous. They were rejected by friends, they were rejected by family, and they were rejected by all of society. They were outcasts, thrown outside the city until their limbs fell off and they died. They were going to die from this. He heals them of this awful, terrible disease. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, John, I know you went into the hospital recently and had surgery. And the first thing I get the same day, an email from him, I'm so thankful. Now, I'm thinking if you have a disease that's going to kill you and you look hideous and your family won't even let you come to dinner and someone comes along and heals you, you might want to say thank you, possibly. 90% did not. They just walked away. But I want you to notice this one guy. He came back and he said thank you. A Samaritan, a guy who really didn't deserve it. In fact, Jesus went out of his way to heal the Samaritan. Jews did not deal with Samaritans. They walked around where the Samaritans lived. They couldn't stand to be near them. They were half-breeds. They were people that we, we just don't want to have anything to do with them. They're disgusting. They're worse than a dog. And that's who came back and thanked Jesus. And Jesus said, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, I want you to notice that. This guy's already healed. He didn't say, your faith has healed your leprosy. Because he came back and gave thanks, his wellness went to a different level. He's talking about his soul. You've come back and you thank God for what he has done. And now you are healed. Actually, the word, uh, when, when you look up the two words, they're, they're totally different. And I thought I put that in here, but I didn't. Hmm. It is tied to salvation. It is tied, oh, it says, yeah, the word, for, uh, he was already healed of leprosy. The word here means saved or delivered. Your faith has delivered you. Your faith has saved you. He's saying that God is sa will save you from your sins because you've come and acknowledged and thanked him. Our salvation is tied to the point of when we became aware that God sent his son to die on the cross, to take our place, to take our sin on himself. And that cannot do anything but move you to say thank you. And at that moment is when you start to become a child of God. Thankfulness is more than just saying the right words. You see, we say thank you all the time. Thank you for holding the door. Thank you for this. Waiter, you go to a restaurant and they come, they're all over you. It depends on how much you're going to pay. But they're all over you. They bring you water. They bring you this. They bring you another napkin. They bring you another fork, all this stuff. And you say thank you all the Thank you. Thank you for the fork. Yeah, thank you for the water. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And from the time we're little tiny kids and somebody just like passes us something, mom's always there. Hey, say thank you. Thank you. And you get that a million times until finally you catch on and you say thank you all the time. But that's not what God's looking for here. He's not just looking for us to say, thank you, God, thank you, thank you, God, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, yeah, thank you for the good day. Thank you for the life. Thank you for the food. Thank you for my sister I can't stand. You know, <laughs> it's, not saying all that. It's, not, it's not just saying the right words. It's a, it's a heartfelt thank you for what he has done. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 107, and I know the girls are all, all pumped up about this because they've been putting it on Facebook this morning, and they've been talking about it and reading it, and I'm finally getting their full light. I didn't think I would, but I am going to, and I'm going to ask you to not grumble about being kept a little bit late, so we won't be too much longer. I want you to turn to Psalm 107, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read something that's mentioned four times in this psalm. Now, just read verse 8. Psalm 107, verse 8. Oh, it is there. 
It says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Now, I like the way the NET writes it, except for the first part. Let's, so let's take the first part from the New King James. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his loyal love and for the amazing things he has done for people. Next slide. Thankfulness is a decision. Thankfulness is a decision. One more. There we are. It's a choice. It's a choice we make. Notice it says, Oh, that men could give thanks to the Lord. Because if you couldn't give thanks to the Lord, that's somebody else's fault. You're restricted. You're not able to. It says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. They have the technology. They have the capacity. They're able to do it. And what he's saying is, oh, that men would just exercise their will and give thanks to the Lord for what he has done. It's our choice. Like the ten lepers, one made a choice to come back and say thank you. Nine chose not to. Thankfulness is a choice. The second point is thankfulness is a choice based on reality. Now, I'm not, again, as I said, this is not some foolishness about power of positive thinking sort of thing. I'm thinking... Take your mind for a minute and think. Do I really have anything to be thankful for? Do I really have a lot to be thankful for? Can I list down, and I was going to do this, but I forgot to, little cards for you to take home and write down five things you're thankful for. Can you write down five things that you're thankful for right now? Can you think of five things, anything, that you're thankful for that you can write down today? I think everybody here can. I think we all can. Thankfulness is based on a decision based in reality. The reality is I have things in my life that I should be thankful for and I need to be thankful for. Daniel Defoe wrote this book in 1719 called Robinson Crusoe and it's a man who was shipwrecked. He spent 27 years alone on a tropical island and the story is very interesting. And it illustrates perfectly that thankfulness is a decision based on reality. So I'm gonna read you a couple things from his thankful list. His complaint. I am cast upon this horrible desert island void of all hope of recovery. But I give thanks that I am alive and not drowned as the rest of my ship's company was. Different perspective, right? It's all about choice. It's all about decision. It's all about my choice to be thankful. Complaint. I'm singled out and I'm separate, as it were, from all the world to be miserable. But I give thanks. I am singled out too from all the ship's crew to be spared from death. God, who miraculously saved me from death, can deliver me from this condition also. Complaint. I have no clothes to cover me. Thankfulness. I'm in a hot climate. If I had clothes, I couldn't wear them. Complaint. I'm without any defense or means to resist any violence of man or beast. Thanks. I am cast on an island where I see no wild beast to hurt me as I saw on the coast of Africa. What if I had been shipwrecked there? Complaint, I have no soul to speak to or relieve me. Thankfulness, but God wonderfully sent the ship near enough to the shore that I've gotten out so many necessary things that will either supply my wants or enable me to supply myself even as long as I live. What a difference. I can sit here and be miserable and die on this desert island or I can give thanks for the things that he has done in my life. It's a powerful thing. If you're struggling with complaining and want to be thankful, make a list. Write down the things. I know my wife and I used to do this. We'd, we'd just be driving along in the car say, okay, I want you to name off five things you're thankful for. Really? Yeah. 
And I would, she would, and then we actually say, can I add a few? Can I add a few? And, and, and it was kind of almost like a little game we played, but really it changes your perspective. When you look, list the things that you want to be thankful for. And then we had three children. We had to go to eight things then. <laughs> okay, finally. Thankfulness is a life-changing decision. And I want you to look again, a final thought from Psalm 107. We often read it and say, Next slide, guys. Or no, I guess that's it. Yeah. Sorry, I meant to go back. We often read it and say, Oh, the men would give thanks to the Lord. But I think that it should be read, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. Oh is the best word in that verse. It is, because it's saying, Oh, I'm going to tell you something that's going to change your life. You ever sometimes something dawns on you and what do you say? Oh, yeah. And then you say it. So what he's saying is, oh, yeah, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his wonderful works to the children of men. It tells me that something radical is going to happen. Something life-changing is coming in this verse. And if you learn to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done, it will displace grumbling, complaining, and wilderness in your life. Next slide, if you're not, yeah, there we go. I, I, I picked up this verse, this, this quote, I don't even know who, who made this quote, it's in, a, it's in a few different places, but gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. You can be thankful, and you can soar like that eagle. You can be living your life in a high place, Filled with joy, filled with gratitude, filled with thankfulness. Or you can decide if you want to to take the low-level altitude, the low-level attitude rather, and you will have the low-level altitude. And you will scratch your way through a barren wilderness with complaining, grumbling, and whining. And your life will just be sapped right out of you until the day you die. It's your choice. You can choose thanksgiving. That's where I want to live my life. I am a complainer. I know that. I'm not preaching this to you. I'm preaching this to me. I am somebody who complains. I know I struggle with this. And many of you, if you're honest, you struggle with it too. And some of you don't. Thank God. But if you do struggle with this, think about it. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. That's where I want to live. And I hope you do too. Let's pray. Thank you, Father for this time together and I thank you that you love us that you care for us we have so much to be thankful for each person who is here today can thank you just for the fact that you've given them breath today you've gotten them out of bed and they're able to come here and hear your word Father we thank you even more than that that you sent your son to die for us we thank you that in him you have given us life the book of Ephesians tells us that we are actually at the point right now, we are as secure as those who are already in heaven. You have seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. And Lord, I, I confess, I've grumbled. I've whined, I've complained. I'm just like the children of Israel at times. And I know there are others here that probably feel the same way. Ungrateful, unthankful, 
complaining. Father, forgive us. Help us to repent and to change. We know that we're just not going to walk out of here and never complain again. We know that. But help us each day, one decision at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time, to make a decision to choose thankfulness over complaining in every moment. I pray you work on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you guys want to sing?